Welcome to Bailey's Writing Tips podcast, short stories episode number 35, a series of three short stories and some six-worders, or four short stories all under 500 words, with one episode every four weeks, usually being released on a Sunday evening UK time. To date, these have been the flash fiction that have appeared on my blog as Flash Fiction Fridays, and I'll give my email address out later should you like to submit your own. Today's are the fourth batch of six-word stories, Changing the Guard by Jane Risden, Old Norse by Jade Kennedy, and The Third Rail by Christopher Farley. I won't be critiquing them, but just simply reading them out, and I hope you enjoy this format. Firstly, the six-word short stories. And we have two by William Bortz, writer, barista and dreamer. Number one, photographs don't age, but grow tired. Number two, your words stand tall as skyscrapers. And now two by Caroline Cannons of Canterbury's Yarns 2. Number one, explosion, studio audience's own life drama. Number two, confronted in court, John's childhood nemesis. And now we have three by Laura Rittenhouse, writer, gardener, beekeeper, traveller. Number one, sweat confirms his guilt. Oh, heat wave. Number two, puppy love sought. Men needn't apply. Number three, sunshine glints. Shot reverberates. Please, no. And two by Ken McGee, embraces magic. Relatively literate. Number one, joined a woodwork class, made friends. Number two, magic, me, a pig, ha, oink. And two by Mark Morris, mature and mostly professional. Number one, older but not wiser, resigned, aware. Number two, remembrance, fallen heroes, tear-stained faces, respectful. And two by Kimberly Sperling, mum, realtor, writer, friend. Number one, categorically true, moreover bizarre and unceasing. Number two, realisation as life was snuffed out. And two by Karen Bate, Canadian author of Memories. One, six word stories are a challenge. Number two, the Rubber Chicken Created Many Questions. And two by Mark Kay, a writer, trying hard. Number one, male masseur available, no extras, sorry. Number two, fisherman's rod working again, thanks Viagra. And then two by yours truly, Morgan Bailey, Morgan with an E. Number one, stolen, my heart, give it back. Number two, Car rattling, not old, squeaky earrings. And that was inspired by an old Volkswagen advert. And now we move on to the longer short stories, but there's still a maximum of 500 words each. Firstly, we have Changing the Guard by Jane Risden. Sam the stiletto muzzo waited until the noise died down before clearing his throat and looking up from his notes. We are agreed. No more discussion, no more voting. Sonny Versace's toast. Hands and cutlery thudded on the white cloth table as the various families showed their approval. Don Giacani, the Southside chapter, has elected to make the arrangements. He's given the honour of retiring Sonny to his trusty foot soldier. Arturo, 
I invoke the fifth, Giovanni. Cheering and more table banging followed, as Sam smiled at the white-haired Don sitting at the table opposite. The only female Don watched carefully as her fellow Dons made their way out of the dining room. They suspected nothing. Those sitting with her began discussing who would have the largest slice of Donny's part of the city. She waited, silent, amused. Without warning, Sam fell forward onto the table as dead as he could be. Before the others could react, they too fell forward, dead. Sophia, the nurse, sat quietly, listening to the sound of gunfire and screams coming from outside. Her foot soldiers had succeeded. And now she was undisputed Don of Dons. Old Norse by Jade Kennedy She taught me languages by calling into the air, in German, Swedish, Norwegian, rolling her northern dialect off her tongue effortlessly. She told me once that her eyes were from her Viking heritage, a lush green with hints of copper and silver, rimmed with a band of rich hazel. I believed every word she said. Her mother was Russian, a willowy woman, with smooth pale hands. She spoke with a lisp, and absently stroked the side of her face when she was nervous, and had a laugh that sounded like a prayer, hollow and darkly warm. Her father was Swedish. He told me he'd been born with brine in his veins, told me stories of ice across lakes as far as the eye could see, and the time death missed his hand when he was a foolish, light-eyed lad of thirteen. He sailed for a living, and his arms were solid and heavy. His hair was cropped short, a dancing play of light between red and wet sand, eyelashes so fair they could be dusted with ice crystals, as if he'd walked out of a fairy tale wood and never looked back. I couldn't see where she went that day, when we walked along the beach in March. She was throwing old Norse at the sea, and it roared back at her. The look on her face was one of intense listening. I laughed. She blushed and said that the waves were asking if I would go looking for her. I felt the words slip from my tongue and lay heavy, unanswered. Why, where are you going? If only I'd not fallen asleep on the sand. I awoke, my head full of pain and sand crystals on my face. She had gone. Maybe walked out to the sea to try and catch a wandering star. She never really belonged to this world, living like a fay, with belief in magic and things unseen. The last words from this child of other lands was, Would I go looking for her? I willed the strength to search. I was trying to find a whisper, a myth, my friend. I searched for her footprints, but only my own marked this sparse landscape. The beach sighed with me as I listened for the things on the wind that she told me once they were there. Words and curses, prayers and songs, thrown away as carelessly as they'd been created, and that still lived in the layers of the air. I heard a Celtic song sung to a child, an argument between lovers, and the heated devotion, all on one gust of wind that blew hair across my eyes. Not just fair, but a beauty, standing closer than you think, where the sky and sea meet in a bright light, on a land without sin. It was spoken in a rush. I turned, tried to hold on to it, but then it was gone, over the grasses, joyous in its escape. And the final story for this episode is The Third Rail by Christopher Farley. It isn't just cold, it's damned freezing. I haven't my coat with me. Why? 
because I hadn't intended on hiding in this draughty, dilapidated toolshed at a deserted train station at 2.30 on this Arctic-like morning. My breath fogs and my teeth chatter. I try to stop, but it's impossible. My feet are numb, and I have to be careful not to make a noise while trying to rub some heat back into my body. I went for drinks after work. I must have had one too many as I found myself at the end of the line and no return train till the morning. I started walking up the tracks, now sober enough to be extremely careful on that third rail. I look out the crack in the door. He's still there, standing, looking up and down the platform, the platform behind which I'm hiding, freezing and praying for the first train. When is the first train? 5am? Is there not a staff train? He's not breathing fog in the frigid air, which strikes me as strange. Not as strange as the hell-sent train that keeps passing up and down every five minutes or so. Sometimes he steps into it and disappears. The train never stops, though. I'd walked about two miles up the line to the next station when I felt, rather than heard, a train coming. Luckily I was level with the platform, so I jumped up and stood inside the little waiting shelter to see if it would stop. It didn't. That wasn't all, though. I could see through it. A sick, jaundiced yellow light lit the interior, but I could see the other platform through the train. I thought it was the booze. After it passed, I had made my way along the platform and I heard it return. I discovered the shed and hid inside. Lucky, really, because the man appeared on the other platform. He just stepped out as the train shot by. He was looking for something. Me? I'm now crouching. Changing position helps. I feel the train coming, so I return to the crack in the door. It flies past and is gone. He's gone, too. The man has gone. Maybe in five minutes I can get away. My crouched position helps me move, and I let myself out the shed. The exit's on the other platform, though, so I jump down on the tracks, avoiding the footbridge. But I, as I do, I hear brakes, furious, screaming brakes. The light of the train in the distance is now coming back towards me, fast. The train knows I'm here. He knows I'm here. Now I've nowhere to hide. It'll find me. He'll find me. The train's approaching fast now. What can I do? If I stay, I'll die of hypothermia if I'm lucky. I don't want to think of the endless, terrifying possibilities of death by supernatural causes. I stare at the third rail. Now a little about the authors of the three longer pieces. Jane Risden began writing seriously three years ago, after a life spent in the international music industry, where she managed recording artists, record producers and songwriters from all over the world. Putting her own wishes to write on hold throughout her music career had unseen benefits, in that she has garnered a wealth of material for her stories. She now has time to write crime and mysteries, and has three novels on the go at the moment. Another is a co-written novel with an award-winning author, and which she hopes will be published this year, 2014. Jane has also had short stories published in various anthologies in aid of charity, and has another anthology due out this year, involving authors from across the globe. She also writes flash fiction, and they and her longer short stories have been published and podcasted on the internet frequently. These stories are often, but not always, crime-related, and she often writes humorous short stories based on her observations of characters she has met or knew in the past, heavily disguised, of course. Married to a musician and being involved in the music industry for many years, travelling and living in many countries, including Southeast Asia, China, USA and Europe, Jane draws on her, all her experiences for her writing. 
You can find her at various places and I'll put the links on this episode's page of this blog. Jade Kennedy is a writer of poetry, prose, flash fiction and a collector of borrowed expressions. She lives in East Yorkshire, England and has had poetry published in various magazines and included in the poetry anthology The Universe Inside. She writes a blog, Poetry Musings, at jadekennedypoet.blogspot.co.uk and she's now looking to find more homes for her flash fiction. Chris Farley. He lived a sheltered life in the wilds of Kent, England, from where he was saved by the written word, so much so that he still corresponds with certain people with a pen and paper. Upon moving to London, a little like Dick Whittington, searching for streets of gold, he happened upon a beautiful Italian lady, who later decided to take him to the sunny realms of southern Switzerland, where he can still be found smiling inanely, continuously in search of vice beer. When he is not working or drinking, he sits in front of the computer, searching for fictional inspiration. You can find Chris via his blogs, christopherfarley.wordpress.com and talkingtosh.wordpress.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Short Stories in four weeks' time. All the links mentioned in these shows are listed on the podcast Short Stories page of my blog, which is morganbailey.wordpress.com, and the spelling of my name is M-O-R-G-E-N, bailey.wordpress.com, and my email address, same spelling, is morgan at morganbailey.com. The podcast is available via iTunes, Google's Feedburner, Podbean, when it catches up, Podcasters, which takes even longer, or Podcast Alley, which doesn't list the episodes, but will let you subscribe.